1: MacU Health with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
2: OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit oiebroadcasting.com and sign up today.
0: Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of the documentary Open Your Eyes. Glaucoma accounts for an estimated 12% of blindness in the U.S. In today's part two glaucoma episode, we will discuss treatment, diagnosis, and prevention of glaucoma. Dr. Harvey Fishman, MD, PhD, Stanford-trained ophthalmologist, rejoins us to discuss. Dr. Fishman, thank you for joining me again.
2: Hey, Carrie, It's so great to see you. I I, uh, miss hanging out with you all the time and doing our intellectual um, shows and having fun and so forth.
0: Well, yeah. I really appreciate it. In our first episode, we discussed what is glaucoma, the cause, the types, eye pressure, and even infantile glaucoma. But let's get started with today. Uh, let's talk about how do we diagnose glaucoma?
2: Great question. So the, the thing about glaucoma, Kerry, is that, as we got, as we mentioned in our previous show, it's one of these conditions that goes unnoticed a lot and the reason being is that um, it generally doesn't cause pain although one of the ways you can diagnose it or one of those symptoms you can have is pain for certain types of glaucoma but generally it's not it's a non-painful condition and as a result uh, there is not and something and because glaucoma tends to affect one eye and not the other. And also, if, uh, at least sequentially, it might affect one eye first, but not the other. And because we have two eyes, that actually builds the visual field together. Our, our, our visual imagery of our world is we have two eyes and they, they kind of mesh and they fill in details that are not um, picked up by one eye versus the other. And as a result, we tend not to go in for a, you know, if we don't have symptoms, we don't go into the eye doctor. Um, and so the uh, problem is that, um, you know, we often will have class, Some people will have glaucoma and never know it. So um, the, the way it's diagnosed is number one, you know, it's like what I said before, which is you don't know what you don't know. You got to go into the optometrist or ophthalmologist for, to get particular exams to uh, diagnose it. And the way it's diagnosed um, is. And this will surprise people who are not familiar with, you know, the the basic definition of glaucoma. It's not necessarily pressure. In fact, if you're a really, really good glaucoma specialist, you actually look at the optic nerve because glaucoma, as we mentioned in our previous show, is a disease of the optic nerve. Um, while pressure and these other, you know, things that you see um, are risk factors for glaucoma, it doesn't define glaucoma pressure doesn't define glaucoma again it's like that previous analogy i like i i guess i shouldn't say that it's the uh, spaghetti that the um, you know, the spaghetti strands or the very delicate thre- threads, which is the optic nerve, but really the diagnosis comes in studying and understanding the, that very delicate structure of the optic nerve. Um, you can, again, I was going to say it's um, angel hair pasta, but I, I, somehow I can't get angel hair pasta. Maybe I'm really excited about you know, Italian food tonight or something, but the angel hell pasta analogy is probably more like just, as I said, a gossamer thread of a bunch of optic, a bunch of fibers. And so when you go into the optoma- optometrist or ophthalmologist, your goal and their goal is to actually look at that and actually visualize that optic nerve and to see if there's actually damage. So it's like a little micro break, a break in, the, in that thread or some of those threads, the, um, the gossamer threads, which make up your, which are the analogy of what your optic nerve is. Um, the other way you can think of your optic nerve is a coax cable from the back of your eye to your, to your brain. And so the, the, the way it's diagnosed is to try to figure out what, you know, is there any damage to that coax cable? Is there any damage to this bundle of threads that are connecting your eye to your brain? And it's not necessarily a, a very, tri- it's not, it isn't, it is not a trivial task. Um, it can be, in some cases, it can be like very, you know, classic. In other cases, it can't. So the first thing that we look at um, when, we, when we make a diagnosis of glaucoma is we actually look at the optic nerve. And if you're really skilled in looking at the optic nerve, you can look at certain telltale signs of the structure. You can actually see the optic nerve almost like going away, like I was going to say melting away, but it's like tissue. It's like atrophy. Um, one of the things that you see when you look at a healthy optic nerve, is you see a nice robust optic nerve where um, when we look at it, there's a nice rim of tissue and this rim of tissue. when the doctor looks at it um, can be described as like what's called the cup to disc ratio. But the reality is that when you look at that rim of tissue, There's there's an observation. You can sort of get a, there are, you can look at the color of it. You can look at at, at whether there's some atrophy, meaning is there there parts of the optic nerve that have sort of gone away. So that's the first thing you do. You just actually look at it. And all great glaucoma specialists are just expert at actually looking at the optic nerve. Um, But over the years, we've found that, you know, if you take a bunch of glaucoma specialists and you compare their abilities to, or you compare their observations of optic nerve appearance, it actually turns out to be there's a lot of variability. It's kind of like taking 10 economists and putting them in a room and you come out with 10 different ideas. It's true. Glaucoma, and that's the challenge is that, you know, one glaucoma specialist or glaucoma person may look at an optic nerve and say, this looks very suspicious. Another one might say, yeah, you know, I don't think it's that that's much of a difference. Sometimes it's a clear cut thing, sometimes it isn't. So the reason that, that there's that disparity in terms of actually looking at the optic nerve and, and sort of documenting and taking pictures of it um, is then, you, and, and so the idea is that when, and, and based on that initial exam that you do, you may get a sense that this is a suspicious nerve or not. Um, sometimes you just know it is, or you know it's a glaucoma nerve and you just, and the diagnosis is there. However, other times, and most of the time, um, and the way we describe glaucoma, it's actually a change. So you can be born or you can have a, an optic nerve that's damaged or atrophied or gone from the start, from, you know, from birth or from whatever happens in life. But really, glaucoma is defined as a change. It's not just damage to the optic nerve, but it's progression. It's progressive damage and progressive loss so really the second aspect of diagnosing it is actually when you look at it I'm going to get to some of the more sophisticated techniques we have but just showing there's change and there's an ongoing change and ongoing loss of that nerve tissue so that's that's a critical aspect of defining glaucoma because if there's no change um, then it's not an active, progressive glaucomatous damage or, da- or occurring, and that has something to do about your 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 condition. So the second, so it's not just so you document it, you look at it. And you look at it from year to year, which again gets back to our you need to go in on multiple visits because you can't know if you don't know what you don't know and you don't know if the glaucoma is progressing. So that's just like sort of traditional and standard way that we've always diagnosed glaucoma. But then in the last couple of years, we've developed some incredibly sophisticated tools. Uh, imaging techniques in particular optical coherence tomography which is a different basically a technique that actually looks at the thickness of the nerve so we can actually scan with with very with uh, we can scan the nerve with uh, light that non-invasive light so to speak that actually basically gives you a volumetric an entire image of the optic nerve not only like the rim of the Nerve, but you can look at the thickness of the nerve and you can look at what the topography you can look at what the shape of the nerve is and you can look at it in different depths and different levels and so there's there are these techniques with OCT where you can actually start looking actually at the thickness of the nerve and then again when that gives you an ability to, to really understand is there actual loss of nerve tissue or isn't or isn't there and then these devices also can look progression can look at progressive changes so you can see like on year one, you may have this amount of nerve tissue, the threads, the bundle, the coax cable. And then you might notice that in years and in, in future visits, that that coax cable gets smaller and smaller, it's thinner and thinner, and then there's less tissue. And that, of course, goes back to your observation, like we said, that you might notice changes. So that's the second way, this OCT imaging. And there are other, and there are new and up-and-coming imaging techniques all the time. Um, that OCT can also image different parts of the retina which also reflect which is where some of the op, where the optic nerve actually starts the optic nerve the, the uh, tissue of the optic nerve actually starts in the retina and so you can actually look at the retina and then um the other th- the other techniques so the third technique that we do of after observation and after um using OCT is we use the the, the goal of the gold standard which is actually a, a visual field um you can have uh, a decrease in tissue, but you have a totally normal vision. Um, one of the great things about our visual system is there's a lot of redundancy. So our visual system was built with this redundancy in, in place so that you can lose a lot of tissue and still function completely normally. So the, the next thing we look at is we actually do what's which, which is a called a visual field. Um, and again, that's a test. It's kind of a frustrating test, and you know everybody hates it. But what it does is it you know you cover up each eye and you test each eye, and you just and, and what happens in this test is that little light shines up, a uh, little light um, uh, flashes, and then you um, you're looking straight ahead, and it just basically probes your your visual field. And the thing that's interesting about that is you know first of all you're doing each eye individually which most people don't do in their daily lives and as i mentioned in our previous discussion you can have many people can have you know vision loss and actually significant vision loss in one eye because they just gradually stop using that eye and then weird things happen like they cover up that eye and all of a sudden they cover up their good eye and all of a sudden they realize hey i can't see so the third thing is this visual field and then those are the sort of the the standard ways we diagnose it now pressure um, is a is a we also measure the eye pressure, which tells us something about the risk factor. Um, if the eye pressure is really high, again, it doesn't define glaucoma, because again, glaucoma is damage to the optic nerve, but it does give us more uh, information about, you know, knowing whether or not the, uh, that this is glaucoma. Obviously, we ask really specific questions, like we ask family history, and uh, we go through all your risk factors. And that helps us make a diagnosis of it in terms of like giving us more confidence that if everybody in your family has glaucoma and your pressure is elevated, your visual field shows the, you know, defects in the vision um, that are consistent with glaucoma and your OCT looks like it's thinned out, then it's probably glaucoma. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of masquerading diseases that can mimic glaucoma. And that's something that's really important to consider as well. And, when you, and if, you have you, if you have a really skilled glaucoma specialist or someone who does a lot of glaucoma, they can often tease, a, tease apart you know what might look like glaucoma but could actually be brain tumor. Um, and that's one of the big uh, pitfalls of glaucoma diagnosis is sometimes you can have brain tumors that actually mimic uh, glaucoma and you gotta be very careful. And then of course there are types of glaucoma that are, you're born with. And so good family history and good documentation over many years helps you know whether this was a congenital, meaning you were born with this type of damage to the optic nerve versus not. So it's really a a fascinating, it's a very fascinating field. Um, um, And the other thing, some of the newer imaging techniques to diagnose it uh, are now including things like looking not just at the structure of the nerve, but actually the vasculature. So people have found that the blood vessels that supply the optic nerve, they also drop out. And so by getting those by looking at the vasculature with some of our new techniques, a uh, different type of uh, OCT, which you and I actually happen to have, to look at the, uh, the vasculature, um, that's also something that's really helpful. So those are the main, main techniques that, that we're using. And I think that we're gonna be seeing more and more advancements in those areas um, in the next couple years.
0: What's interesting is that if somebody has significant nerve damage, it's really easy to make the diagnosis. But what's, when it's difficult is those people that may have glaucoma or may not have glaucoma. And we know that people have glaucoma. There's about a 40% chance they could lose vision in one of the eyes. So we want to we diagnose as soon as possible so we could treat early. So, yeah, it's very easy when there's something significantly wrong and we have a beautiful visual field defect and we see that notch but those borderline cases when we have one of the risk factors that are, that are high, but we're not sure whether or not to treat those people when you're not sure and you're on the fence and you're looking and the imaging, the OCT is kind of borderline and something, the corneal thickness that we didn't talk about yet, the corneal thickness is maybe thinner and that's a risk factor. We'll use an ultrasound and we'll measure the front of the eye and check for, for the corneal thickness. And those cases where, we don't want to overtreat anybody but of course we, we don't want to undertreat either because the results could be devastating how right. do, you, how, do you, how do you handle that
2: where where it's a borderline case yeah. yeah i mean those those are the most those are the difficult cases i mean the the most important thing about those borderline cases is if you know number one uh, to follow them because the, the disease will often um, you know manifest itself and so if you if you if you notice if you diagnose somebody as a so-called glaucoma suspect, uh, the key is just making sure that your that follow-up occurs, um, either by you or by other people. And the other thing is you need to have a you need to have a good um, you have to have a good understand you have to have a good understanding with the patient. The patient needs to know um, kind of the you know you've got to tell them about the big picture that. that you know, this is a risk factor for glaucoma. It doesn't necessarily mean you have glaucoma, but you need to be followed and you need to have your nerve checked and all these things that we talked about in the past. And so the, for, for patients who have, for the risk factor, you know, you can kind of present to them what, you know, what the way I deal with it is like I present to them. I try to teach as much as I can about what the process is and the fact, you know, what are the risks and what are the benefits of, or the risks or the downside of of treating without actually um, knowing 100% that this is actually glaucoma or not. And I think that, at least in my practice, what I try to do is I try to have a really, you know, transparent conversation saying, this to me looks like you have a glaucoma. It has all the features of glaucoma. Um, you haven't maybe manifested it yet. Um, and then so in those patients, you know, we kind of have a really honest conversation. Do you want to take a, a drop, which you might have to take for the rest of your life starting now, That might protect you from getting this um and with the very possibility that this is that we're quote unquote i wouldn't say i wouldn't exactly call it over treating but you could you could use that tech you could use a term like you know we're being preventative it's kind of like you know if you have somebody who has heart disease excuse me if you have a family history of heart disease and, and the person's cholesterol is high do you give them you know, do you give them anti-cholesterol medicine? Do you give them Lipitor? Do you give them these different medicines, even though they don't necessarily have any disease at that point? Same kind of discussion. If somebody has high blood pressure, um, same thing. You know, if you have somebody comes in with high blood pressure, internists and family, you know, we're, we're, we're as physicians, they only tend to treat that because we know that that's a risk factor for getting heart disease and strokes and so forth. And it's exactly the same conversation with somebody who's a glaucoma suspect. You look at the nerve and you say, Hey, you know, this looks like it could be glaucoma, I'm not 100% sure. And I'll mention what, what another, other techniques that I do, um, but I'll, you know, or things like the way, other things that I do. But the other thing I would say is like, you say, okay, hey, this is, you know, we can treat you with this drug that's gonna, this eye drop that's gonna lower the, um, the pressure. The, the side effects of eye drops are not necessarily devastating. Um, it's not gonna, you know, usually they're not gonna, they're not gonna blind you or they're not gonna cause other problems from the side effects of the drops. Usually worst case scenarios, they can irritate your eye. Um, generally. And that's not, and it can also cause color changes to your, to the color of your eye and it can cause your skin to get, you know, have some changes because of the the drops that we use. So they're not a hundred percent, you know, without side effects, but, you know, neither are cholesterol drugs or pressure, you know, or blood pressure drugs. And so you have this conversation where you say this, you know, this is what we might do. And the other thing is, I think you have to basically say, you know, You know, if you know, and if there's if there's some question about whether you should take the drop or not, you know, you can always say, well, we can follow you really carefully. We can do more frequent visits because the if there's any changes that occur, then we could add the drop. So if you decide, for instance, okay, you're at risk, we don't want to necessarily give you the drops, or we make a mutual decision with the patient that we don't want to start drops, uh, then you can say, well, we need to follow you very carefully then. Um, I mean, regardless even whether you start the drop or not, you got to follow them carefully. But, but, you know, you can you have to be like, we'll be maybe we'll do interval checks that are even shorter than what we normally would do. And then finally, I don't think it's unusual. I don't think it's bad. I think it's great to say, hey, you know, I want to get another one of my colleagues to take a look at you. I think that we should be this is a this is a team. This is a team effort. This is not a uh, this is not a solo swimming event right this is a this is a team effort and i think that you know it takes it takes a village to to treat to do things And i think that you know if you have a really nice if i have a good colleague i i tend to like you know some of my super smart colleagues at stanford and locally and i'll try to i'll just send them to them and say hey what do you think and they'll either agree or they'll say yeah you know i think this is reasonable or they'll treat you know i think that that's really the key good communication and good follow up is really the key, and unfortunately, you know, some of those things can fall through the cracks, which is unfortunate. You got to be really vigilant about that.
0: Are there any additional tests, such as color vision, electrodiagnostics, gonioscopy, uh, that you would add to uh, your workup to the patient?
2: Yeah, I mean, so obviously, a full glaucoma workup can take. You know, you, there are other things that we do, including we measure, as you pointed out, the corneal thickness, which is a risk factor, and it also helps us. Uh, figure out whether uh, the pressure measurement is, is artifactually low or high, depending on the thickness of the cornea, how we measure it. A gonioscopy, where we're, you know, obviously we're looking at the actual physical outflow chamber of the front part of the eye. Um, and that's a, you know, an anatomic description of, 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 of whether the, the eye is, is a type of glaucoma risk that's a narrow angle versus an open angle. And that gonioscopy is critical. And by the way, OCT is excellent. Is an excellent technique also to confirm your gonioscopy findings. Um, And then, you know, in terms of physical exam, those are the, those are some of the main things that you do. Um, You want to, you know, one of the things we probably don't do enough of is pupillary uh, testing. And I think that there's a lot of, um, I mean, we do it and, you know, if you have what's called an afferent pupillary defect, or if there's a sluggishness to how your pupils respond when you shine the light on somebody, um, you know, that's usually a sign of fairly advanced disease. But there's some really new techniques now. There's some new pupillometers, which I, which I, um, which I think would be, would be very interesting to, um, to use, and that can that might be able to detect very subtle and early signs of, of optic nerve disease, uh, glaucoma, and other things. And then, as you said, you can do these electrophysiology things. So, like, one of the things you can try doing is you can uh, put like a contact lens, or you can put an electrode either on the cornea or on your on your skin, and then you can uh, you know, and you can shine lights on the patient, and then you can actually record the electrical signal between their eye and their brain, and by doing that, uh, excuse me, between the back front of the eye and the back of the eye, um, and then you can actually look and see. Um, you know, what the response of the eye is. And then you can actually look at the response to the brain and you can sometimes tease out through these electrophysiology techniques, whether or not the, um, whether or not there's optic nerve disease. And those techniques are interesting. They're supporting, they're supporting casts there's a lot of hype, tons of hype in that area right now in terms of, you know, is this, you know, can you diagnose early glaucoma with these techniques? And, and I think that those techniques are really fraught with a lot of artifactual data. Um, and even though you know the, the people in those fields, and I know some of the, the the greats in that area, who you know, unless you have a really good research grade, like what we call ERG, you know, electroretinogram, uh, electroretinography, unless you have a really good research grade, some of these commercial units just don't just have too many artifactual data, and actually performing it with people, and it's just a tricky measurement. It's a lot like my confocal uh, my confocal microscope, <laughs> very tricky to use. And so it's, it's sometimes the data, you have to really know what you're doing. Um, and then of course, like what you mentioned that there are other, um, new, new, new imaging devices that are, are coming out. I don't know. Did I, is there anything that you were thinking of that I, that I missed?
0: No, I think you covered it. Uh, uh some people are using color vision, you know, oh, yeah, color vision, part yeah. of the supporting cast. I had the original pupil, uh, pu uh, pupil. Pupil instrument, which measured easier it, for you to say than me. <laughs> <laughs> the, rapid, the Rapid X, and it was very, it was very good. You know, for certain yeah. people, we pick pick up little subtle changes of the optic nerve. We actually picked up, a, unfortunately, a patient with a brain tumor with it. But yeah. then now there's a new uh, Rapid X that has just come out. That's a little bit easier to use and more patient patient friendly. So once I get back into the office, I'm, I'm excited to be using that again.
1: MacuHealth, your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science.
0: Let's t- switch the treatment and the different types of medication that's the different categories of medications. Let's start with the prostaglandins. You could talk about the different types of prostaglandins and how they work, because I know a lot of people that are watching this are probably taking uh, Latanoprost or Travitan or Lumigan or Vizalta. You could just make a comment about that classification of medications, the pros, the cons, the side effects.
2: Right, so the prostaglandins um, are a group of drops that actually act to inflame the eye. So it's really an interesting basis, but prostaglandins are, um, there are receptors in, in our tissue um, and these, the prostaglandins activate certain receptors um, in the cell membrane and in the tissue that actually induces a, an inflammatory response, which is kind of interesting, right? That you're giving a molecule that actually causes inflammation. And these inflaming drops, um, when when you get inflammation, if you get a very low level of inflammation in the eye, um, it turns out that that can increase the can decrease the pressure. Kind of interesting. And so um, the, these prostaglandins actually can. Um, there are certain outflow tissues in our in our eye um, where, when you know, the inside of the uh, eye. Uh, makes the fluid that keeps the eye uh, a, a sphere and it keeps it, you know, uh, com- you know, keeps it uh, a certain shape. And so we have these, t- these tissue, these areas of our eye which are producing tissue are producing fluid, and it keeps the eye inflated, so to speak. But then this fluid needs to escape. And so this escape valve, uh, there's a 360 degree escape valve, it's kind of a ring of tissue called the trabecular meshwork. It's in the front part of the eye, just at the edge of the iris. So just when your iris tissue, your pupil, just at the edge of your pupil, uh, so you're not the pupil, the, the edge of the iris, which is the, um, the color part of your eye, just at that little area where, it, it, where the white part of your eye and the color part of the eye meet, uh, there's a there, there's an outflow valve inside, or a meshwork actually, it's more like a spongy material, that, gets, that, that releases the, the fluid. And um, this prostaglandins uh, work not exactly in that meshwork, but it works in that area of the eye where it basically releases. It's actually um, a non-trabecular meshwork um, releasing a drug. And so the prostaglandins work by probably creating a very low level of inflammation in that area. And it helps actually the fluid escape. Um, and that exactly is the side effect which is that you can inflame the eye. And a lot of people who, wear, who, have, who use prostaglandins, Lentanoprost or Lumigan or whatever the, you know, the drop of choice is, um, it causes the eye to get red. And um, it's interesting because prostaglandins, so you know, the body does interesting things with inflammation, lots of interesting things, including um, one of the things that can happen when you inflame is you can get blood vessel growth. Um, and that's often seen in the cornea. But the other thing that can happen is you can actually, uh, when you get vascular engorgement or high, you know, more blood, um, you can actually get growth of tissue. And one of the positive side effects of prostaglandin is that your eyelashes uh, can get longer. And so the, the the prostaglandins are are used in a um, you know using cosmetic. Uh, to, to make uh, eyelashes get longer, if that's, if that's your choice. Um, they're used to, the, the old version of Lumigan used to really, uh, the higher concentration of Lumigan would really get your eyelashes you know, going like crazy. And um, the, the company changed Lumigan to a lower concentration, so it's actually a pretty good drop now um, in terms of less redness. But they took the original version, which caused all this exuberant eyelash growth, and they turned it into Latisse, which is now used to increase, you know, you can apply it to the eyelashes. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, the prostaglandins were, I think they came out in the late, in the early 90s. So it's amazing that the, that was a drop that was used. And there was, really was our main drop prior to that, Timolol was our, uh, which is a beta blocker. Um, the, that was one of our first drops that we, one of the newest drops that we had in like 20 or 30 years which was in the late, in the, in the 90s, the prostaglandins. Now, the other side effect of prostaglandins uh, is that, as I said, not only does your eye get red, but there has this, there's this funny uh, thing where the pigment in your, the color part of your eye actually can get darker. So the way, the reason, actually, this is fascinating, uh, Carrie, is one of the things, I just did a podcast, actually, on light sensitivity, and we were talking about, like, why do people get light sensitive? and um and then it kind of evolved into the color of people's eyes and one of the side effects of the prostaglandin is that it actually increases pigment in your eye so one of the reasons that reason that somebody has a blue eye versus a brown eye is about the amount of pigment and the amount of light that gets uh, gets absorbed in the iris and then or how much gets reflected and unfortunately one of the side effects of the prostaglandins is that people who have blue eyes or bluish and green or hazel eyes can go to a darker eye and I'll tell you that's been a deal-breaker for a few of my patients even though prostaglandin at the time was the number one pressure-lowering you know medication uh, and it could save their vision they were just adamant they didn't know what they'd rather go blind than have you know lose their their color you know go lose their blue eyes and that's a true statement
0: so you think I can put some of that on my head and maybe grow some grow some hair
2: uh, if you do that please let me know because I'm gonna invest in all those companies <laughs> That, you're going to need a lot. So let's
0: talk about the, you, which you alluded to, the second category of glaucoma medication, the beta blockers, the yellow cap. People are used to that at uh, Timoptic. Talk to us how that works, and what's the pros, the cons, the side effects.
2: Yeah, so Timoptic is was one of the gold was the gold standard for dro- for glaucoma, uh, you know, treatment. And uh, I, I always want to co- keep coming back, you know, to the point that. While we lower the, the only thing we know that can that can reduce the progression of glaucoma is pressure, and that seems strange because I mentioned that pressure is not even in the definition of glaucoma, but it's a risk factor, and you know it's like reducing your blood pressure, your cholesterol. Um, But but timol is a is a is a medication that reduces the production of the fluid. So the prostaglandins increase the outflow of the fluid that gets uh, formed in your eye. And the, the beta blockers or timolol um, is actually a drop that's used to reduces the amount of fluid production. So it's, it blocks the production of, of the of the inside fluid of your eye, and that reduces the pressure. And uh, interestingly enough, beta blocker, the Nobel Prize in chemistry and medicine, or the chemi- in med- in chemistry was won for discovery of the um, structure of the a receptor for beta for beta blockers. Okay, the adrenergic receptors. So um, so the way it works is uh, as I said, it reduces the pressure, it reduces the production of fluid, and the side effects. Um, the thing about beta blockers um, is is that uh, they can also affect other parts of your eye. Now, they, they the beta blockers tend not to have as much uh, ocular redness uh, effects on the eye, um, but. And this will uh, be a shocker to some of our listeners uh, and our viewers Carrie, is that uh, eye drops can you know act systemically and they can be very very significant and one of the things that happens is that when you use an eye drop you um, can get that you know even though it's a small amount it can go into your into your systemic system and not all eye drops go systemically and in, in other words you know gets affected by the whole body. Um, because of the uh, concentration may if they don't have any systemic side effects. But in fact, uh, timol can. And one of the things about timol, it's a beta blocker. So uh, we use beta blockers all the time to lower our heart rate, um, and that can be a great thing if you have high blood pressure, or you have congestive heart failure, or you have other type, types of uh, you know atrial fibrillation things like that. But um, you know if you um, if you put an eye drop in that's timolol, and you and you're not on a beta blocker or, or you've never had one, you can significantly reduce your heart rate, and you can really drop your blood pressure. So it's really important to, for uh, to understand that that's one of the side effects. There are a lot of side effects. I'm not going to go through them all, um, but the other side effect that's significant is is if you're an asthmatic or you have lung problems, um, it's really important because that can exacerbate uh, lung disease. Um, the other thing that is true is that beta blockers can make your diabetes get worse. Um, so it can affect your glucose levels. So those are all really important um, side effects that you need to really keep in check when you, when you start taking those.
0: What can we do to prevent systemic absorption of eye drops?
2: So um, there are some techniques where you can actually, so the reason that um, the drops, one of the main reasons that the drops cause side effects is that they go through um, the, the natural tear ducts. When we produce tears and we cry, um, or we put a drop in our eye, um, some of it flows onto our skin and goes nowhere. Um, but some of it actually flows into these little tiny holes in your eyelid that then drains into the back of your throat. And all that tissue, both in your nose and your throat, um, is just, has a tremendous amount of vasculature and it just absorbs it right into the body, one right into your bloodstream. And one of the things about, um, One of the things about your eyes that's interesting, Carrie, is that um, in terms of the systemic effects of some of these drops is that it bypasses your liver. So you get an immediate effect. So like, for instance, if you have heart disease, some people are, you know, chest pain, they'll put a little thing under your tongue and like um, they'll put, you know, they'll put some sort of uh, like a a nitro, you know, like a nitro uh, drop or something like that. And, and, and nitric oxide causes immediate vasodilation, but we'll get into that in a bit, because actually there's some aspect of that with glaucoma. But what happens is with the eye, you, get, you, you buy, it doesn't go through, like if you eat something or you, um, when you eat food or you take an oral medicine, it goes through your liver, it gets processed, It takes a long time for that drug to get, um, you know, to get um, uh, have an effect on the body. But if you put it under your tongue, or for instance, a drop in your eye, it goes right into your bloodstream, and you get immediate effects. So, um, the, so this is a long answer to your question. I, I don't seem to get to the answer quick enough. I apologize. You can just clunk me on the head and say, hey, Fishman, get to the answer quicker. I just like talking about these things. But in the circuitous route, the way you can prevent the, uh, the drop from you know, minimizing it into your throat is obviously to close those little areas, the, the little <clears throat> punctal areas right here, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you, and you, you, can, you can pinch them off with your fingers while, you, while you're putting the drop in and um, and then you can um, you can just wait and that's a good way of preventing that
0: so let's talk about the alpha agonist alpha GAN, for example alphagan so listeners are on alpha gan. yep pros the cons
2: yeah so alpha is a great drop um, it tends to have a lot less systemic effects I like that um, it doesn't have as much pressure lowering it has a dual mechanism it has both a pressure it it, it acts a little bit like um, uh, the beta blockers like timolol, in that it reduces the production of t- of uh, fluid on the inside of the eye, but it also has another effect, which it also increases outflow. So those are two sort of two mechanisms that it does to uh, to reduce the pressure, and um, and the so it's a good drop. It's a it's really what we consider more of a secondary an add on. So if you need lower pressure beyond what you get with the prostaglandin, uh, you can add um, or timolol, you can add um, you can add alpha-gan. Um, alpha-gan, is the other name for it. Uh, the, the thing about bromonidine, there's been some interesting studies showing bromonidine may have some neuroprotective effects on the optic nerve. So um, one of the things that we're, when we talk about treatment, and hopefully we'll get into this, um, you know, because we're talking about the optic nerve, it's not just pressure. It, there can be other factors. There, often there are a lot of other factors other than just pressure. So, if you have a drop that does other things, like for instance, supports the health of the optic nerve and actually prevents the optic nerve from dying at the biochemical level, that's a, that's a great thing you want to do. And there's been papers over the years kind of like touting um, alpha GAN or bromonidine as a way to, to protect, it's a neuroprotectant of the optic nerve. And, I mean, the data is is, is is not 100% on that, but that's the other mechanism that could be interesting about Alphagan. The side effects of Alphagan are um, uh, generally well-tolerated, but it can cause a tremendous allergy. There is the classic Alphagan allergy. So you can get like a red eye, like a conjunctivitis. And then it's amazing, you know, you could be using Alphagan for years and all of a sudden you get a red eye. You always got to think, hey, this, is, this could be- And yeah, it could blow up on you. It's, blow blow up. Up. It's, not, it's unclear why, for instance, people respond that way. Why they're immune, it's an immune response, it's generally an immune response. Um, and it's crazy like you could be on the job for 10 years and all of a sudden, bam, and probably has something to do with your gut. We'll get into that.
0: <laughs> so, let's go next to the carbonic anhydrase inhibitors. Uh, an example is azop
2: Yep, ASOP. yeah, the ASOP reduces the production of, 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 um, Tears, or excuse me, production of the fluid as well. So it's like a beta blocker. It reduces actually the production of the. Um, it's another. It's sort of a, another way that the that the body can that the uh, drop will reduce the amount of fluid that's made by these cells in the eye. Um, uh, pros and cons. So the the, the 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 pro is that um, it's just another mechanism. So you know if you're when you're when you're trying to lower the pressure. And again, I, I, I hate the idea of just chase, chasing pressure. And I keep coming back to the to the point that you, you got to look at the optic nerve. You got to think about the mechanisms of disease and understand why the optic nerve is is it's not just pressure, pressure, pressure. But um, but, if, but if but if pressure seems to if the health of the optic nerve seems to be responding to lower pressure, then it's just an alternative mechanism. And so if you're starting to run out of ways to lower the pressure, then it's just another mechanism, and it's a complementary mechanism. It, it does it it's not a beta blocker. It's not, it doesn't work by the same mechanism as an alpha, alpha um, agonist or alpha inhibitor. Um, And it works. um, It's just one more orthogonal mechanism to, to lower the pressure. And then um, the one thing that you, um, uh, but again, you can have similar side effects where you can get a red eye. Um, People who take, the, um, the, uh, that, that class of mechanism, that class of molecules tend to, they can get like a weird taste in their mouth, uh, like a bitter, like a metallic taste. So those are some of the side effects. It's pretty well tolerated Uh, systemically. You don't get too many side effects from, um, um, you know, from Azopt and, and from that, that mechanism. Um, But uh, you know, uh, it's, so it's a good, it's a good drop. As a complementary drop, it tends to be a little bit irritating on people. The formulations and it tends not to work as well. It's, it doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, efficacy as some of the other drops.
0: And let's talk about the newest class, the Rho kinase inhibitors.
2: Right. Those are, yeah, the Rho kinase. So, yeah, and also we'll talk about the nitric oxide addition as well by, In Zolta. by Zolta. yes. So, you know, the fascinatingly enough, you know, for all the developments in ophthalmology, you know, you know, ophthalmic science, we had nothing. We had no new drops from 1990, you know, the early 90s until about a year or two ago. So, what is that 20 uh it's 25 years or something where we had we had absolutely no development. So, for, for, you know, is that more, I like guess, is, is it 30 years, 90, 90, yeah, for you know almost 30 years, we had no, almost no um, drops, new drops that really were a different class. So this new drop, uh, the Rho kinase inhibitor, is the first of its kind drop that actually acts um, on a different mechanism, which is that spongy trabecular meshwork mechanism that we talked about. So when the eye starts to relieve the pressure valve of the eye, so to speak, um, there are different mechanisms by which the fluid can get out, and the main one is through this mechanism called the trabecular meshwork, where it uh, the fluid goes into this ring of tissue that's, as I said, 360 degrees circumferential, right at the border between the edge of our pu- edge of the color part of our eye and white part of our eye. That fluid goes out in that trabecular meshwork, and then that then drains into our bloodstream. It drains into our uh, our into the draining the draining parts of our eye. And that's a brand new drop, and it's, it's an interesting mechanism uh, where it works at that what's called the trabecular meshwork. And so it's, it's, a good, it's a great new drop. Um, the pros of it are, again, it's an orthogonal mechanism. It's unlike any other mechanism, so it can really do, it's actually a, a terrific drop. I've had you know, really good success. We're just learning about some of the side effects of it. Um, you can get a very red eye for some reason, um, it's not because it's you know it's acting on tissue in ways that we just don't necessarily know all the effects of it. Um, one of the mechanisms is that um, you know by changing the collagen structure and so forth, it can change the vasculature. And so some people get a really red eye from it, like a beet red eye. Um, it also seems to affect the cornea. Um, one of the things that people see with with uh, ro- the ro- kinase inhibitor is that you can actually get these um, deposit. So actually the drug can actually deposit in your cornea. It's a term called verticillata, and you can get verticillata with other eye drops. You can also get it with systemic medicines. It's called a vortex keratopathy. That's another name for it. And, um, that's a side effect that is completely, we think completely benign, doesn't have any visual effect at all. Uh, doesn't affect, you know, your vision doesn't change the, we don't think it changes anything, uh, except that you can see it on exam. So I don't really know if it's a, necessarily a side effect, but it's an effect that we see. Um, uh, and people, some people can respond really, I mean, as, as I said, they do really well, but the side effect profiles, it. it, it that the, 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 these rho kinase inhibitors are are uncomfortable drops. They they tend to be more they con- tend to cause more irritation than some of the other drops that I've seen. But they are a dynamic drop, and it does it's a great new mechanism. And if you know if you need to get your 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 if you need to get your pressure down, and you don't want to have surgery, it's a great option.
0: And the trade name is Ropressa.
2: Right, Ropressa, and then there's also uh, they actually take they take this Ropressa and they combine it with Lintanipros and you can actually have a combine drop. And one thing I wanna mention uh, is that all these drops that we talked about, like Alphagan and, and Timol, those are trade names, Timol, Bramonidine, um, uh, Azopt, or um, you know, these different uh, drops, they have, they have combination drops that, that can be very important. And so these combination drops, you know, whereas you, know, you might have to take Timol and Alphagan, you can, you can combine it and call it combagan um, or you can take like you know basically take a drop like uh that's combined with Ropressa and you can have a uh, you know you can have a combination drop, which is really helpful
0: speaking of combination drops, Bauchalam added to the prostaglandin a, uh, a compound that increases nitric oxide, and the name of that drop is Visolta. How's your experience with that?
2: I have had great experience with Visolta. I've really liked Vizolta. Um it the, the, it, it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to cause additional too much additional redness. Um, in fact, it's it 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 it's, it's one of the most mildest drops in, in that whole class. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, so I it, what it, as you mentioned, it adds this nitric oxide. So Nitric oxide uh, is also the chemical uh, is NO. <clears throat> in fact, the Nobel Prize was won. And uh, for, nitric, for the discovery of nitric oxide in the 90s, when I was actually doing neuroscience research as a PhD guy, I remember that they, the science, science magazine came out, they, they came out with the molecule of the year and it was no, nitric oxide, just say no. And it had tremendous effects. Uh, we know nitric oxide vasodilates blood vessels, okay? So it vasodilates tissue. And um, that's one of the reasons why they think it, it works to increase outflow in the trabecular meshwork area um, and around the eye and um, the other thing it does is it uh their their nitric oxide they think is a neuroprotectant so not only does nitric oxide act at the level of the trabecular meshwork but it may actually also have effects on the optic nerve itself and i and i think we, you can't under uh, emphasize the importance carrie of getting of, of moving towards our understanding of not just lowering the pressure which is really just a risk factor for glaucoma, but actually treating the glaucoma itself, everything that we've talked about, every single drop we've talked about, other than possibly remodidine, all these drops are actually just lowering the pressure and they're not actually actually affecting the the nerve. And it may be that nitric oxide has a a true neuroprotectant effect on the nerve, and that's what's nice about that. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Patients often ask, is it really better to have a drop that's uh, a real a real drop as opposed to a generic
2: drop so the generics um, are in you know not in every category so some of these newer drops which are still on patent there are no generics for it um i have personally had anecdotal experiences where the generics just aren't as good we know we've known for years, for instance, in some of the steroid drops, which obviously is not a good thing for most glaucoma patients. Well um, we can talk about that in part three if you want to. Uh, but uh, uh, but the generic drops um, tend, you know, even though they're supposed to have the same efficacy and they're supposed to be identical, they they tend to. I've I've had many uh, t- situations where um, the patient switched to a generic and their pressure went up. Their pressure increased. I don't know if that's the formulation, if it's the, because because even though they don't necessarily have to be bioidentical um, or they don't have, there's even though they're generic, they're not necessarily made the same way. They may not be the same exact molecule. They may have bioequivalency. Um, so I don't know the details of what every generic has, but it's, always, it's not always the same drop medicine. And we know that for many different formulations and drops. So the answer is that, while I'm not a big fan of pharmacy, as you know, um, I would prefer to use non-pharmacologic treatments of everything. And, you know, of course you have to use pharmacy, uh, you know, when you, when you do. And so, but you know, generally if there's a way of getting the, the, the actual branded name, um, it's better than, uh, resorting to a generic, but if you do go to a generic, um, you know, what, one thing, one thing I will do is I will uh, especially when I first start treating somebody with glaucoma, often um, I'll prescribe a generic from the start um, and, uh, or you know if, if their insurance doesn't cover it. And then I just monitor it. So if I see if, if I can get the appropriate response and pressure uh, and side effect profile that looks good with the generic, then great. I'll use it, especially if it's cheaper. But ironically, the, some, of the some of the pharmacies and so forth, it's, it's, it turns out like sometimes a generic can be more expensive than the, the branded one. So it's just we're living in a crazy world of, of, uh, of pharmaceutical drops these days. It's just really frustrating the way the whole system works. You
0: know, and some of the brand, branded uh, companies actually make the generic, but there's 9, 10, 11 different companies that will make the generic medicine, and you really don't know what you're getting as a patient. There was a study done in India where they looked at latanoprost a branded one versus generic. And the branded lowered the pressure 41%, where the generic only did 29%. So if you could go with branded, we're always probably better off, but many times the insurance company doesn't cover it. And typically the generic drug usually worked pretty good. Maybe not quite as good as the branded in all cases, but in some cases it does. But with that being said, I wanna thank Dr. Harvey Fishman for joining me today. You're a wealth of knowledge. Harvey, if somebody wants to get learn more about you, how can they do that?
2: Thanks for asking, Carrie. And I, uh, thank you. You are such an inspiration to me and the rest of the world in terms of really opening our eyes, no pun intended, about what eye disease is and how we can all help. But if you want to reach me, um, I have a you can re- obviously find me on my website, wwwfishmanvision.com You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Fishman, um, I have a, uh, a new podcast uh, called iChat with Dr. Harv. Um, I'll be starting a website called I Chat with Dr. Harv as well. And uh, you can also, I also have an Instagram account called Fishman Vision, or sometimes I'll post neat videos and so forth. Um, but uh, that's how you reach me. And I, but uh, as I said, Carrie, thank you so much for this it's great being friends with you and colleagues and you're a great guy and you're really an inspiration to people um who you know want to deal with their eye problems and understand their eye problems in a way that maybe they don't get explained or they don't understand it from their from the traditional roots so thanks so much you're you're a real inspiration
0: well thanks harvey and our next episode we're going to talk about prevention we didn't get to it as much today where we're going to talk about exercise and green vegetables and green tea and different types of teas and meditation and how that may be able to help decrease the progression of glaucoma or decrease glaucoma and prevent it. So I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Until next time, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Kerry. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OYEbroadcasting.com and sign up today.
1: MacuHealth with Micromicell, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicell technology.
0: Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon
1: Experience Academy. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one, lifespan was supposed to be increasing, we were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way.
0: Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them.
1: We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best-kept
0: secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could
1: actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health.
2: Because this disease is here, it's also gonna be here.
1: And I can look into the back of my eyeball and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it.
0: The eye is the canary of the mind.
1: The eye is the kingdom. Will everyone please? Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen
2: producto.
1: Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry,
0: I like to wash them with Safe For You.
2: And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me. AND YOU.